to Joshua 24. And if not, um, I'll be sharing it on the screen anyway. So hopefully you'll be able to, to see it that way. Um, so this chapter that we'll be looking at this morning is Joshua's final address to all the people of Israel. Um, Joshua was entering his final days on earth and was preparing the people for after his death. Uh, but before we really start reading uh, the scripture here, uh, we need to get a little bit of a background on who Joshua was. Um, so in Exodus 17, he was selected by Moses to lead in battle. Uh, he eventually became Moses' personal assistant. And scripture even tells us that Joshua accompanied Moses for most of his journey on Mount Sinai. Um, Joshua then continued to go on and serve as one of the 12 spies sent out to scout the land of Canaan. And then eventually in the first chapter of the book of Joshua, um, he was called to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Um, so that's just a little bit about who Joshua is before we enter uh, this final chapter found in the book of Joshua, uh, where he will actually be giving that final address that we briefly mentioned. Um, so we'll start by just uh, reading through some of this passage. Um, so verse one says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads, and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his seed, and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. Um, so the title of our message today is going to be Egypt in Their Hearts. Um, so notes, you're welcome um, to write that down. Before we dive into what Joshua says, though, we want to get a little bit of context of where and what... Um, was significant about Shechem. Um, in the book of Genesis chapter 12, um, it says that Abraham reached the great tree of Morah at Shechem and offered sacrifice nearby. Um, Abraham built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him and had given that land to his descendants at Shechem. Um, here at Shechem, God confirmed the covenant he had first made with Abraham in Haran regarding the possession of the land of Canaan. And this place that Joshua and the Israelites are now meeting in um, symbolizes the covenant that God had made with Israel. Um, it's a place that has basically been dedicated as the spot um, to worship the Lord and remember him. Um, so Shechem is a very uh, symbolic and important um, place for the Israelites in this context. So Joshua begins his address by calling the people into a remembrance. Um, this is essentially an account of the Israelites' history. Um, and I figured that instead of reading uh, the first five books of the Bible this morning, uh, maybe we could just stick to, to Joshua's retelling um, to the Israelites here in this chapter. Um, so let's go ahead and continue reading in Joshua 24, um, verses 6 through 9. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came into the sea. And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand, that ye might possess their land. 
and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. Verses 10 through 13. But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all the Ots that you can imagine, um, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which strave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted, not do ye eat. So here in Joshua's retelling, um, we can really draw our attention to three P's um, of the history. In these first 13 verses of chapter 24, Joshua calls the people to remember God's power, God's presence, and God's provision in their lives. For power, the Israelites are reminded about how God's power brought them out of and delivered them from the Egyptians, how his power was used for their sake time and time again in the wilderness. For God's presence, they're reminded of his continual presence with them in everything that they face, every trial, every obstacle, God saw them through with his presence. And then his provision, Israel is then reminded of the provision of God in the wilderness. They were always provided for. It's important to note that in this part of the passage, um, the thus saith the Lord, um, found in verse 6, I believe. And in what we have read thus far, uh, we, they use the word I 18 times uh, to show all of these good things, um, the deliveries, the victories were caused by God. Um, and not the Israelites. Um, even in verse 12, it says, which I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. Um, so God is the one who pulled them out of every mess, out of every conflict, out of every problem. God is the one who delivered them from all of their trials, and the one who brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey. Any greatness or prosperity or blessing that Israel ever received was not by their own effort, but through God's grace and power. From their first call of Abram to the conquest, uh, to the present moment, everything they have and all that they are is because of the goodness of God. Just as it was God's power, presence, and provision in the history of the Israelites, so it is with us today. Verse 13 God says, I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them. Of the vineyards and oliveyards which ye planted, not do ye eat. This land ultimately belonged to God, and it was a gift from God. All throughout scripture, we are affirmed that even our possessions today ultimately come from a good God. But these gifts do not come without conditions. Like everything else in this world, these gifts are just temporary. One day we will give an account for how we have used them for God's glory. Only one gift is eternal, and it's the gift of salvation, salvation through Jesus Christ. So in circling back to the retelling of the Israelites' history, why is it even important in this context? 
Well, in ancient Near Eastern practice, it was very common uh, to recite the history of a relationship before the making of a covenant. Um, so think about most of the weddings that you have ever attended. Um, there will likely be a few jokes, sometimes corny, from the pastor. No offense, uh, Preacher Bill. I don't think you tell corny jokes, but other pastors do. Um, but a few jokes will probably be told during the wedding ceremony. But before the covenant commitment is actually made, um, before the I do's are said, many times you hear a story about how the couple has met and their history together. Similar to that, we are hearing the story of the relationship between God and his people of Israel before a commitment or a covenant is made. And that's going to be what actually comes next in this passage. So verses 14 and 15, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, so here Joshua gives the people three commands, fear the Lord, put away other gods, and serve the Lord with sincerity. The first of those being fearing the Lord. Preacher Bill mentioned this last Sunday. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Uh, well, it's to revere and respect the Lord, um, and it can also mean to have awe or wonder towards. Worshippers of God stand in fear and awe of the great mystery of God and not just in the natural fear of punishment or threat. Secondly, Joshua says to put away other gods. Um, he's appealing to them to put away the gods that their ancestors had worshipped. This Hebrew word for put away didn't just mean to set aside. Um, it didn't just mean to put in another room somewhere to come back to later. Um, but it actually meant to remove, to depose, retract, reject or abolish. Um, so it's more than just a setting aside. It is to completely uh, rid of. This word is also used throughout the book of Leviticus to describe the act of preparing a sacrifice. It is describing the act of actually physically cutting away the different parts of the animal that is to be sacrificed. So it is to be with us. Are there other gods that we are still serving and looking to or what idols might we still have in our lives? In this passage, we are challenged to examine what those may be and to literally cut them away from our hearts, to rid ourselves of them completely. And then next he says to serve the Lord with sincerity. This is wholeheartedly, completely, and with integrity. The English word sincere actually comes from two Latin words, which means without wax. It was used to refer to pottery dealers who sold incredible pieces of pottery that had no cracks or blemishes on them. Other potters would use wax to patch any cracks that may be found in their work. When patched pottery was held up to the light, the wax patch was easy to see. And it's the same in our lives when we live insincerely. When held up to the light, the hypocrisy shows, just as the wax showed for the potters. As children of God, we are called to live and serve with sincerity. Joshua then continues by offering the Israelites a choice. The New Living Translation says, If you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. 
Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amoros in whose land you now live? The people had to make that decision, whether they would obey the Lord, who had proven his uh, trustworthiness time and time again, or if they would obey the local gods, um, which were only handmade idols. Joshua says that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In our own lives, um, our idols, our gods may not be as close to uh, what Joshua was talking about here. It may not be golden statues or um, images that maybe we see um, in some Southeastern Asian countries, um, but it could be other idols that we have in our lives. It could be the pursuit of wealth or health even. Um, in this passage though, as the current spiritual leader of the Israelites, Joshua takes a bold stand. Whether or not the people are with him, he declares that his house is gonna be for the Lord. Joshua had made a commitment to God and he was going to live that out, uh, whether or not his people did. We like Joshua must also decide that regardless of happening around us in our world, we will settle in our minds and hearts that Jesus is Lord and that the word and the will of God are gonna come before everything else. As we continue reading, we will see that Joshua doubts his people's commitment. God had brought the people out of Egypt in the past, but Egypt was still in the people. And there were so many times that they actually wanted to return to the land of Egypt. In verses 16 and 18 of Joshua 24, it says, And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. So here the Israelites boldly claim that they would never forsake the Lord. They, in this uh, uh, scripture, remembered all the Lord had done for them and then declared their allegiance to him. But Joshua is still not satisfied with their answer. In 19 and 20, it says, And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. Joshua here knows the human heart and how people can be led astray and neglect the commitments that they have made. Just think about the time that the Israelites spent in the wilderness. They had just been delivered from the hands of Pharaoh, and it seemed every time that they faced an obstacle they wanted to go back to Egypt. We can find many examples of this throughout the text. In Exodus 14, they say, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us, Moses? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still there? We said, leave us alone and let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And again in 17, they argued with Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? 
continued into the book of Numbers, the people of Israel complain again. Not that we ever complain, but the Israelites complained again. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic that we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. They continue in Numbers 14, if only we had died in Egypt. Why is the Lord taking us here only to die in battle? Wouldn't it be better for us to return? And in this passage, they actually plot among themselves to pick a new leader to lead them back to Egypt. And then finally, in chapter 20 of Numbers, they say, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. God had brought the people out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in the people. Before we can criticize their desire to go back to a place that they had been enslaved for so many years, we must remember that they weren't always making bricks, um, as the story is often told. There's more to the story. When the people of Israel first came to Egypt, they were given the land of Goshen. And Goshen was in the Nile Delta, as you can see in this image, um, if you're on the video call. Every year for thousands of years, the Nile River floods, creating soil that is unlike anything um, that can be found on the planet. It had some of the most fertile farmland in all the world. A number of years ago, National Geographic actually did a study um, that documented the best soils in all the world. The area of Goshen found in the Nile Delta still today has over 100 feet of rich topsoil. The next best soil in the world is the soil of central U.S. in the states like Iowa and they have an average of four to six feet of topsoil. So we can see just how different this land of Goshen is. The problem for the Egyptians with this land is that they want to live in houses and settle down. They didn't use, utilize this rich farmland because um, Goshen was found in a flood zone. Um, up to two months out of the year, the land of Goshen could actually be flooded. And you can't build a house in those kind of floodlands. This wouldn't be a problem for the Israelites because they're a nomadic people. Uh, the deal worked for both the Egyptians and the Israelites at the time. The people of Israel would farm the land for the Egyptians. So it wasn't always completely miserable for the Israelites in Egypt. Maybe this is one reason that they still had those desires to go back to their past in Egypt. When Joshua doubts the commitment of the Israelites here, he is ensuring that they understand the seriousness of what they do. Joshua does not mean that God is not a God of forgiveness but he means that God is not to be worshiped or served lightly. To forsake him deliberately and to serve idols would be willful sin against God. In verses 21 through 24, it says, And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourself that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, 
and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice we will obey. Again, the people make a commitment to serve the Lord. Joshua speaks a third time and calls Israel to serve as witnesses against them if they do not turn aside, if they do turn aside from God. The people again reply yes. Joshua then speaks a fourth and final time, coming again to the point that he already mentioned, that they must get rid of their idols. Joshua challenges the people to prove their sincerity by their works and to get rid of their idols and other gods. In 25 through 28, it says, So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart every his inheritance. After the people agree yet again, Joshua makes the covenant with the people that day in Shechem. This permanent contract between Israel and God was that the people would worship and obey the Lord alone. They were to be a holy nation. If we were to continue reading into the Judges, we would find that the Israelites would eventually disobey God as Joshua had feared. The same can and does still happen in our lives today. But there can be no mixing of allegiance to God with idol worship. We all have to decide, will we be completely committed to God or will we adopt the practices of those we find ourselves surrounded by? This is still relevant to all of us today as we find ourselves in a nation, as mentioned earlier, that is full of division and hatred, a place that could be filled with many idols still. We must keep our focus and our worship on the Lord. As we found in the structure of this passage, let's remember today that what the Lord has done for us in all of his power, his presence, and his provision in our lives. May we be challenged by Joshua's words to fear the Lord, to truly cut away and remove all other idols, and then to serve the Lord in sincerity. And may we remember our covenant with God each and every day. So as we close, um, today, we're going to actually close with another song. Um, and Preacher Bill, if after the song, um, if you would be so kind as to close us in prayer. <laughs>